questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answer them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today it is Sunday and February 11th, Super Bowl Sunday. So this sermon is an attempt to try to bring all those things together. I'm glad you're here. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led him up, led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who was talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what he had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The Transfiguration is one of the weirdest events in Jesus' life. Uh, We understand his healings, I think, pretty well. People are sick, they need healed. And, of course, his healings and his miracles are also signs pointing to a deeper messianic truth about himself, that he is the Messiah, the messianic secret, if you will, in Mark. And it is the point of his enacting the kingdom of God in real time, healing people, casting out demons. Uh, Those are very understandable things about his life and ministry. I would even call them practical. But when it comes to the transfiguration, it's a weird event. There's no explaining it really other than just experiencing it. And it's only experienced by three of his disciples. Uh, And they barely experience it in that they really don't understand it quite fully, Peter, James, and John. Why these three? Uh, They are the, the sort of inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, of all the characters uh, in the Gospels, they are the ones that Jesus picks to do this. And they are by themselves apart. Uh, This is significant. It is the secret revealing of Jesus, the secret transfiguration to some degree. This is not some big public display. So here we see a little clue into what the transfiguration might be. This revealing to these apostles who are then going to have to carry the message long after Jesus ascends into heaven. They're going to need something to get them through that. And I think this is what it was. Everything Jesus does is both mystical, universal, cosmic, but also really, really practical for his disciples. I think we can see that in the transfiguration. He knows what they need. He knows that their faith is going to be shaken and they're going to have doubts and fears and they're going to return to this throughout the rest of their life. Later in the letters that these disciples write, they're going to say things like, 
we were there on the holy mountain and we witnessed it and we know for sure who he really is um he didn't he wasn't just a man who died he was actually the one who he said he was the son of god but here they are and jesus is talking with Elijah and Moses, suddenly this group of four has become a group of six. That's kind of awkward. Moses and Elijah, Elijah with Moses. What are these characters doing here? I mean, how would you know it was Elijah and Moses? That's another thing. Maybe from what they were talking about. And maybe they used each other's names. I don't know how else you'd know. We have, I mean, they didn't look like Charlton Heston um, and Elijah has never been in a feature film, so we wouldn't really know who, what he looked like. But here they are talking to Jesus. What are they talking about? Other gospels tell us that they're talking about his exodus, an event that both, shat, both has parallels to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. This departure, exodus, reminiscent of the great deliverance of God's people through the Red Sea, Reminiscent of Elijah ascending up in the chariot of fire. Oh, chariots of fire is playing. That's pretty cool. And then Jesus' own departure in the cloud from the Mount of Olives, which is also a reminder that he will come back in the same way. Well, at least that's what he says. We're still waiting for that here on earth. But this conversation is a really important one. Many commentators have puzzled why Moses and Elijah, perhaps it's their weird deaths, Elijah taken up in the chariot of fire. He doesn't really die. And Moses, who dies but is then buried in, in a secret place and there's an angel moving his body and all sorts of other strange things at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, So these two who have not really died, but are with God in a different way than maybe some other, the rest of us are, they are the ones who will come back. Um, These are the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. And I think it's also perhaps okay to see Moses and Elijah as being um, the biblical witness of the law and the prophets. Jesus refers many times to the Law and the prophets. And here we have the representatives, the writers of the law and the prophets to some degree. Moses, who writes the law, gives the law from Sinai. And Elijah, who embodies the strongest and most visible record of the prophetic tradition of all the prophets that lived. This is encapsulating all of the religion that Jesus is part of. The law and the prophets, you kind of have to have both. Both this legal tradition of trying to decide what God has called us to do and not to do. That's the law. And then the prophets of what is the heart of the law? What is the spirit of the law? What is God really trying to get us to see when we have these instructions about how to live and what not to do? The prophets always pointed out that you couldn't just skirt around the law. You couldn't just figure out the bare minimum that you had to do, but you had to really feel the spirit of God and say, like, what's the spirit of this law? 
If it's about justice and fairness, then we shouldn't be unfair to people, especially vulnerable people. And the prophets are constantly calling God's people to look at the law through the eyes of the Spirit. And that is something Jesus does as well. He both reissues the law from the, Mount of, from the Sermon on the Mount, that is a reissuing of the law of Moses on, from Mount Sinai. And then he shows that you can only do that in the spirit of the law. The letter of the law kills, but the spirit of the law gives life. And this becomes a theme for Jesus, of a major point of his teaching. And here we can see it in this conversation with Elijah and Moses on this mountain. And then Peter, who likes to say things, and we can certainly identify with that, or at least I can, Rabbi, um, he addresses Jesus with this title of teacher, maybe because Elijah and Moses are there. Maybe they're more familiar with each other when other outsiders aren't there. But here is two outsiders, so the terms of address get a little more formal. It is good for us to be here. Well, isn't that a, a lovely thing to say, Peter? It is good for us to be here. Um, okay, thank you, Peter. I'm glad you're here. Yes, it is good for us to be here. As if he is trying to justify his own presence at this assembly. Uh, that he belongs here uh, with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, who is obviously not just a guy walking around Galilee in the, in the first century. He is someone else that embodies the entire tradition of Judaism and the people of God that Peter has dreamed of and studied all his life. And here he is with Moses and Elijah, validating his claim of who he is. And Peter, of course, says, I'm glad you have me here. Always fun to be with Peter in these moments. He is the king of the awkward comment. Have you ever had one of these where you've said something so awkward that you just were mortified, which is a way of saying you wanted to die, to shrivel up and disappear in a poof of cloud We've all had these. And the, the more uh, formal settings we're in, the more we have. You can only have these kind of moments in, um, when you're nervous and scared of another person's approval or acceptance, whether it's a first date or whether it's a um, job interview and all the silly things you say. Um, I've said so many of these. I, my, my first, really my first, kind of job I had in church work was to be a youth minister. And I went for like the interview with the board or some group. And then I had another like meeting with the pastor who I was supposed to like work directly for. And he had these big giant like clay pottery pots in his office. And I was sitting there like just kind of talking and I kind of laughed at the pots. I said, these are ridiculously large. They really were. They were huge. And um, I said, wow, wh where in the world did you get these? They're, they're like <laughs> hideously large. I don't know the exact words I said, but I, I didn't give them compliments. And he, he then very kindly said, you know, these were a major part of my art and, uh, and my, my pottery. You know, I made these. And, uh, and of course, I was like, oh, what a stupid thing to say. And, and anyway, we got along great after that. But these are the kind of things that you just, you know, 
say. And, and Peter just says these things. The king of the awkward comment, let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is real religion. This is the religions of all the world. And Christianity has some of this element in it. Um, today, we commemorate the ordination of Barbara Brown Harris, the first woman bishop in the Episcopal Church in the United States, black woman bishop. I think, I think there might have been a woman bishop before her, but I now that I'm saying it, I, I may have switched around my history, but today is the day we commemorate her and that consecration. And we do this at huge moments in church history and life. We need to do this. This is one thing I love about the Episcopal Church is that we commemorate the saints and examples of Christians um, down through the ages. And we need to do that. That's a good thing to do, to build a tabernacle, a shrine, a dwelling, a tent, a chapel, a church to commemorate great moments in human achievement and faith. Those are good things to do. And I love that. And we have to do that. But when we're talking about Jesus and Moses and Elijah here on the Mount of Transfiguration, it becomes very clear that this is not an appropriate response to this event, that there is religion and we need religion. Religion is about community. The word religion is about connection. It is related to the word ligament, the connecting tissue of our lives. We have to do religion together. It is something that you cannot do alone completely. There has to be a community around that. But the, but but this is something completely different. It is this individual recognition of God that Jesus rebukes Peter for. Peter is setting up religion. Religion is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing to build a shrine to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. These are not bad things. But they aren't the thing that's going to get you through the stuff that you're going to face. That will not be enough in life. Life is really hard. And there's some things that happen to us that turn us upside down, that we will barely recover from and have to endure. And we will be tested in our resolve, tested in our faith, tested in so many ways. And it's at that moment that, that these shrines of our life will not be enough And that's when he got scared. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. This cloud overshadows them. And from that cloud, there came a voice. This cloud is the cloud of unknowing. It is the cloud of unbeing. It is the abyss of eternal life and death. It is everything that we are uncertain about. It is the this, this shroud of mystery that our future lives in. It is that thing that undoes us and makes us anxious about every little thing in life. This is the cloud that we really live in as humans. And no amount of shrines and temples and chapels can change that. It is in this cloud that God dwells. The voice of God speaks from this cloud and says, this is my son, the beloved 
listen to him. That this is the point of this transfiguration, this revealing of who Jesus really is, just as the trans people around us today um, who we know and love are revealing who they really are to the world by their transition. This is who they have always been. And now we get a glimpse and we get to see who they really are visually often being the, being a very important part of this transition. And that's what happens with Jesus, this dazzling white clothing that you couldn't even bleach to this degree. And this idea of transition and transfiguration, transfiguring to look different, to be transformed in one's appearance. This is what is happening here. This revealing of who Jesus really is, that there is no one like him. No one is like him in the whole world. No saint, no celebrity, no movie star, no Super Bowl hero, no popular music sensation who's flying from Japan. Nobody is like Jesus. Others will look more impressive than him on the world stage. And we need to venerate them and we need to uh, celebrate them. And I was listening to Taylor Swift's song this morning when I got up and I will watch some of the game, hopefully. I've heard that Usher will be on roller skates at halftime. So I will love all that stuff and I will enjoy it. But when that cloud of unknowing comes over me, I'll be like these disciples who hear this voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they all looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. When that cloud comes over me, it's only Jesus. He's the only one that can get you through. He's the only one that can understand what it is to face God. When we face God in the cloud of unknowing, we are facing the real truth of the universe, that God is not a big muffin in the sky that we all can just nibble off of, that God is not just a nice little uh, pet that we can stroke on the top of his head and say, good doggy, good cat, good rabbit. God is not something uh, that is just there for our enjoyment, amusement, provision. Even creation doesn't fully grasp the depths of, of I, I don't take me wrong on this. I love God with all my heart, but there is a cruelty and a hard edge with God that you experience in suffering that's unlike anything else. It's what Jesus experienced when he was here on this earth and he hung between earth and sky and he said, and the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the edge of God that you, we experience on this earth. Someone came and talked to me today or this week about this in their life, that they were going through this, these losses that just kept coming and kept coming and they had trusted God their whole life. But it seemed like God wasn't listening in fact, God was putting them in a circumstance that was worse and worse and worse. 
and they just couldn't understand it, that God could be so mean, so cruel, so heartless. And we are there. And so they told God how they felt. They argued with God. They did what Jesus did, and they did what Elijah did when he laid down under the tree after the prophets of Baal were defeated, and he said, I'm the only one left. Kill me, God, kill me. Uh, This person did what Jeremiah did when he said, God, you've tricked me, and I'm all alone now. All the prophets and all the heroes of faith in the Bible in our faith tradition, and even those saints that we build the chapels and shrines to, they also had moments where they said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When God has hidden his face from us, when God has gone behind the cloud, when in some ways there is no God, that is when Jesus shows up, and it is only Jesus. Only Jesus can be seen and touched and felt, and he will touch you, and he will see you, and he will know you in those moments. And that is what will get you through everything that you will face. Because when you go through that, that is when you start to rise from the dead, just as he did. That is when your resurrection will happen, and you will be a new person You will not be afraid. You will not have that same anxiety that you had before. You will have troubles and you'll have struggles and you'll have all these things like we all do, but you will never go back to that abyss again, to that cloud again, alone. Only Jesus will be with you. Amen. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.